In Mark chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the second longest chapter in the book of Mark, and it's a painful start to this chapter. Jesus has already ministered about a year earlier in this timeline in the book of Mark. He's already ministered at the synagogue there in Nazareth, his hometown. And remember, he got booted out of the synagogue, and he's run out of town, basically, and so he's, he's just, I just want you to remember the context of everything. He's calmed the sea. He's healed a, a sick man. He's healed, he's delivered the demonized man. He's healed the woman with the issue of blood. And he's also uh, raised Jairus, the synagogue ruler's daughter from the dead in Capernaum. So it's been an amazing rush. And you would think, okay, now we got the big mo go going. You know what I mean? We've got momentum going. Nazareth is going to welcome us back. Our hometown boy is coming home. And instead, this is the story of Jesus going back to give his community and his city one more opportunity to believe in him. And they reject him again. And so it's a very painful start, but it's one if you and I will look at, we will learn a lot. So I want to talk to us about being perplexed but not being paralyzed. And this is really a good story for those of you who are doing ministry, whether it's with your small group or with uh, girls or boys or young people or whether you're ministering in a recovery center. This is a really encouraging story about not giving up. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first six verses tonight. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and this power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, a prophet, is without, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his home hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And look at this last sentence. And he was amazed at their unbelief. When we get done tonight, I want you and I to have it as a goal in our life that God is going to be amazed at our faith in Him, that God is going to be amazed at how much we trust in Him, how much we believe His Word, and not that we're faithless and that we're not believing. I want you to notice a couple of things before we really dig into this. It seems to be, well, it not seems to be, but throughout the Bible, you can see that Jesus worshiped on the Sabbath. He went to synagogue, and when He was asked to preach, He preached the Word. And when he preached the word, he did wonders. And when he did those wonders, the word and the wonders, rather than always blessing people, sometimes people were offended by them. And in this story tonight, people are, again, they're amazed at the word of God that Jesus is preaching. They're amazed at his wisdom. They're amazed at his knowledge. Uh, wisdom is how to apply the knowledge that God has given us. We collect knowledge, and then wisdom is how we apply that knowledge. Discernment is how we choose when and where to use that and the people that we work with. So wisdom and knowledge and discernment he had. But then there was also this element of his wonders. Sometimes people are offended by the miracles that God does in our lives and he does for other people's life. 
No one can argue with you when you've had a personal encounter with the Lord. Nobody can argue with you about your miracle. But sometimes people can make you doubt what God did for you. And so this is an excellent passage for us to look at tonight so that we're not perplexed. When I was studying theology, I can remember sometimes we would come to some concepts that really challenged my faith as we, as we read. And there were nights when I would literally get up out of bed and I would go for walks in our subdivision and I would pray. When I was a student on campus, I would go to walks on our campus. I remember one night in Jerusalem, I just went out for a late night walk and prayed because some of my concepts were being challenged as I was studying theology. And it would be perplexing, but the one thing that our faith does is it prevents us from being paralyzed. God will always challenge us. Sometimes it's through a child that doesn't recover when we think that child ought to recover. Sometimes it's through a prayer that we think God should have already answered, but he hasn't answered yet. We have a grandson that I pray for every single day. God speak into his mind. Create the gray cells that he needs, Lord, the white cells that he needs. Lord, touch his body, strengthen his limbs, raise him up. Touch his mother and father and strengthen their faith. And I so admire their love and their care for their severely disabled son and how they love him and care for him. And does it perplex us from time to time? Absolutely. But we rejoice in his life. We rejoice in God's goodness and giving Josiah to us. His name means the Lord heals. And we also rejoice in what we see God doing in his parents and what God is doing in our faith as well. So here's the first thing I'd like you to get from this passage tonight. Following Jesus is always a learning experience. And when I first was trying to outline this passage to teach on tonight, I preached on this passage before, but teaching through the book of Mark, I suddenly I went... You know, I need to change how I've always said this. Following Jesus is an adventure, and it is an adventure, and nobody loves adventure more than me. I sometimes feel like Bilbo Baggins. I really want to sit by my fire. I really want to eat my food, and I want to have a few friends over. And then other times I feel like Bilbo when he wrote those words, I'm ready for an adventure, you know, and he's ready to go off. And I'm sure we all go through those times. But adventure just didn't fit with this context tonight as I was teaching through it. It's a learning experience. And how many of you found that to be true? The more you follow Jesus, it is an adventure, but you're going to learn a lot. Now, the disciples, they've been a part of these great miracles that we've already seen. I mean, remember their, their fear on the Sea of Galilee? Remember, we went through how Jesus stilled the storm? Remember what they saw with the demoniac at the Gerizim demoniac? Jesus returns with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown, the first verse tells us. They're going to learn something. They're going to learn something that should encourage you as a, a small group leader. They're going to encourage you as a, as a deacon. They're going to encourage you as, as maybe as a, a parent or a father or mother. And that is when you walk with Jesus, sometimes you're going to be rejected. Sometimes you're going to go through pain. Do you remember how Jesus' mother and brothers thought, we talked about this in this gospel already, they thought Jesus had lost his mind. They thought he was maybe even going insane from the pressure of the success he was having. So they went, they were going to collar the boy and bring him home. And I told you the story about how my uncle went and got my dad when he was, decided he wanted to be a migrant worker and go picking apples and left the farm. But they wanted to collar him and bring him home. 
And they're going to learn again the pain of the second time rejection. The second thing I see from this passage this evening is ask good questions, but ask the important question. Our former neighbor was a Marine, retired Marine. And one day I went over to his house and and I said to him, I said, I've got a question that's going to probably sound stupid. And in that really gruff Marine voice, he goes, there's no such thing as a stupid question. The only stupid question is the unasked question. And I felt like saluting him at that moment, you know. But as I, I thought about that, there are good questions, but sometimes they're important questions. This is a good question. Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? That's an excellent question. Where did Jesus get the power? What they're dealing with is, we know this homeboy. We know him. That's how they look at him. He's just another local kid. He's just another boy. And they're just judging him based on him growing up in the community, which should tell you right there that those people who write stories about how that Jesus must have created clay pigeons and then tossed them up in the air and they came alive again and flew off, all of those things, that is, that's not true. That's not the way Jesus lived his life. His parents, his mother was surprised even though she knew. His brothers and sisters were surprised. But the question that they should have asked And the question we need to ask ourselves tonight is, what does it all mean? What does it mean? And that's the question I've had to ask about the healing miracle in my life. Lord, what does it mean? What do I do with what you've done for me? What do I do, God, with the grace you've shown me? What do I do with the salvation you've given me? What do I do with the call? What do I do with the answered prayers? What do I do with the marriage and the family that you've given me? The question of what does it mean, it's incredibly important. William Lane, in his commentary on the book of Mark, he said this, and it should be on the screen tonight as well. In spite of what they heard and saw, the people of his hometown failed to penetrate the veil of ordinariness which characterized this one who had grown up in the village. So a lot of times when I'm walking around here and I'm hugging these little kids in our church, I'm praying for them. When I'm hugging these teenagers, I'm praying for them. As a matter of fact, one of our teenagers tonight brought me a small gift, and yet it was a meaningful gift and a special gift. And and I hugged her neck, and I've already just said, Lord, bless her. Let her have this increasing awareness of that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let her have this increasing sensitivity to want to, to help others and to serve others. Because I see behind what God is doing. I am sure there were people that Billy Graham grew up around. They are really surprised that he became the well-known evangelist that he was. There are people that I know in my hometown that they have told me, he says, we never dreamed that God would do what he's done in your life. Even my own pastor told his wife one time, and she told me later after I was in the ministry, he said, there is no hope for Dennis Clanton. As you see, sometimes you've got to look beyond the veil of ordinariness. You've got to look beyond the veil of what you see and you become familiar with. And by faith, keep praying. hmm, I'm biting my tongue right now. Listen, thank God for the energy. Thank God for the drive of young people. Thank God for the passion of them. They make a mess sometimes, but the Bible says where there's no cattle, the stall is clean, you know? I'd rather deal with the mess than not have the cattle. Do you follow what I'm saying? So look beyond that. And the third thing I'd like you to see tonight is faith has trouble believing God. 
But unbelief refuses to believe God. Faith has trouble believing God, but unbelief refuses to believe God. I've had those times in my life where I've had trouble believing. When COVID first hit in 2020, I've shared with you on a Sunday morning before when everything was, you know, all the news and the sickness and I was preaching. I can't tell you the hours I spent not walking, but just laying on my face in that sanctuary saying, God, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to minister? And yet God just blessed and he made a way. I had trouble. I had to go and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. There have been other times that I have run into to things that I didn't know how to solve, and I know God could solve them. Andre Crouch had a beautiful song, Through It All, Through It All, I've Learned to Trust in Jesus, I've Learned to Trust in God. And he talks about in that song, you know, he's had many problems, but God could solve them. And so faith will have trouble believing. It's okay to have trouble. But unbelief refuses to believe that God is going to do anything about it. And occasionally I will counsel with Christians and I will minister to Christians and they will say to me, I just refuse to believe that God wants to do that. And there's nothing you can do for that. And my favorite one is when somebody comes up to me and they, they just want to stop the conversation and say, well, God told me. There's just no way you can amp up on that. I mean, you've just turned the power. Who am I to argue with God? And through almost a quarter of a century of pastoring this church, I think there's only been two times where I've ever come up to this congregation. And first, I've said to the board so they could, first, I've actually said it to my wife. Then I've said it to the board. And then I've said it to the congregation once they were all in agreement. And I remember Becky saying to me one time, says, if, if God has spoken to you, you've got to do it. But if God hasn't spoken to you, honey, that is the stupidest idea you've ever came up with. So I came in and I shared it with the board, and I will never forget one of our board members who is in heaven now, he looked at me and he says, Pastor, I believe God spoke to you. And he says, if we miss it, we'll all be stupid together, you know? So it, that's kind of how it all, and God did. He moved and he did a miracle through our congregation. When, um, I don't know if any of you have ever read any of the sermons of Alexander White. One of my mentors back in the 80s gave me a book of his sermons. It's like, Remember the story of Elisha's bones where they threw the dead man on Elisha's bones and he came back to life? It's like when you read White's sermons, he was a British preacher, and you just, they just come alive. Well, he tells the story about talking to another pastor uh, that attended their church in England, and he says, I missed you in service last night. And he told him, well, I was preaching at such and such a church. And so White asked him, he says, how did it go? He goes, I don't know how to explain it, Pastor. He says, that was the coldest, deadest church I've ever preached in. And White says, I preached in that church two years ago, and I still hadn't got the chill out of my bones. You see, sometimes you go into places where people just refuse to believe. They refuse to have faith in God. And what you and I have to do is we have to, we have to buckle down in our own faith for the sake of the community that we're in. Remember Abraham's prayer to God? If you find only 10, will you spare the city? You and I have to buckle down and intercede and love our community. Jesus is back in Nazareth not because he's seeking accolades. Jesus is back in Nazareth not because he's seeking honor. Jesus is back in Nazareth because he loves his hometown. I love our community. 
few years ago, I was asked to serve on a certain board in our community. And because I didn't feel like I was qualified to serve on that board that they asked me to, I, I said, why do you want me to serve? Because I had turned it down a couple of times. And, and they said, the very number one reason we want you to serve is we know you love our community. Friends, you don't have to have all the qualifications if you possess two things, faith in God and a love for people. And if you have those things, you can move mountains. Look at what J.P. Meyer, Meyer is a Catholic theologian that wrote a book about Jesus called The Marginal Jew. What is beyond dispute is that in the ministry of two or three years, Jesus of Nazareth attracted and infuriated his contemporaries, mesmerized and alienated the ancient world, and unleashed a movement that has done the same ever since, and thus changed the course of history forever. How many of you would agree with that? The world has been changed. History has been changed because of this hometown boy that was the son of God, but the son of man that was born in a hilly backwater called Nazareth. And because they could not understand that something good could come out of Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel said? Could anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, somebody said one time, what's the best thing coming out of Washington, D.C.? It's the interstates. You know, they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Look at this passage of Scripture in verse 3. They scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. Notice this. They were deeply offended. Deep, this word, he he wants you to get the, the sense. The offense was so deep that they were not going to change their minds. They've already tried to kill him once. Remember, they took him outside the city. And on the second visit, that pain of rejection. But Jesus was rejected in Nazareth. He was rejected in Jerusalem. And the Father turned his back upon him when he died upon the cross because he became sin for you and me. You need to understand that all this rejection was so that you and I could be accepted. And we sing that song sometimes here at, Wis at Woodland. He was rejected. We were, he was condemned. And we were accepted. We've been redeemed. Isn't that good news? Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? I mean, that is such good news. Now, I want to give you just a little common sense right here because there's something you need to see. They're talking among themselves. And you know how it is when a group of people get to talking together. I've been a part of those groups. You've been a part. They get to talk, and they're, they're not happy about something. They're complaining about something. And pretty soon, their criticism and their complaint and their gossip turns to malignant contempt. And I use the word malignant intentionally tonight because like cancer that contempt can spread to others your joy can spread or your lack of faith can spread or your critical spirit can spread or your encouraging spirit can spread and so as they gather together as a hometown community they refuse to believe now let me tell you what I've learned Okay, and, and just try to take this in for what it means. When we don't recognize what God is doing in our own midst, if we can't see that God is touching that child, that teenager, maybe that new Christian in our church, 
if we can't see what God is doing in their lives, we're not judging them as much as we're judging ourselves because we're saying, God can't do it here. And I want to tell you something. That's baloney. God can do it right here with our church. Amen? And then fourthly, unbelief hinders a community from God's blessings. So the entire community is affected. Do you remember Isaiah 53 and verse 1? Who has believed our report? To whom will the Lord's arm be revealed? Remember that key phrase? Who has believed? Belief or faith is what unleashes the power of God in our midst. And we've already seen how it seems that God's power is being hindered. We'll deal with that in just a moment. What unbelief does is, is it isolates. Look at verse 3. We're going to look at verse 3 and verse 5 together here. They refuse to believe in him. Now, just notice that. They refuse to believe in him. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. It's not that Jesus couldn't do miracles. It's because Jesus doesn't do miracles where people obstinately refuse to believe. Do you remember when they tore the roof of the, we looked at that miracle as well. They tore the roof of the house and the, his friends led him down. Remember, and, and, and now I've got the, as a matter of fact, I was telling somebody, I said, I'm going to have to quit watching The Chosen so much because when I read the New Testament, and we get to the red letters where Jesus is talking. I hear Jesus from the, talk, the, from the chosen talking. He's got a British accent or something now, you know. But uh, I, I see that whole picture. They're letting him down. And, and Jesus honors the faith of those. But those that are criticizing, they don't stop the faith or the miracle from happening because they're criticizing. And so if we're surrounded by critics... If we're surrounded by unbelief, it's important that you and I, we keep our faith intact. We keep our, fi our faith fueled up. Can you say amen to that? So it, I want to be real clear. Jesus chose not to do miracles. And you say, Pastor, but the Bible is real clear. He couldn't do miracles among them. Well, I'll get to that in just a moment. That's a good question. So you need to ask yourself, why is that important? That's the important question. Why is that important? Because number five, God will always bless the humble and the faithful. God will always bless the humble and the faithful. You see, living in Christ is a constant, continual miracle. Somebody called me today and asked me to pray with them for a miracle. And I'm happy to do that. And I'm happy to believe God with them for it. But then I just wanted to encourage them and say, listen... God has been doing miracles in your life. And they go, well, how? And so I just began reciting some of the miracles in their life. I said, never forget, living in Christ. How many of you are in Christ tonight? Okay, one of you needs to get saved. How many of you are in Christ tonight? Okay, in Christ is a miracle. The incarnation is taking place within us tonight. Grace is taking place within us tonight. God's power is being manifested in us tonight. Never take those words for granted. And never take the fact that when we die, when this body of mine quits working, I win. <laughs> when this body of mine quits working, I win because I go immediately into the presence of Christ. But I'm awaiting another miracle that's going to happen. And that's the resurrection. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. 
And so we want to be people in our community that we bring the power of faith in there because God blesses the humble and the faithful. Notice the rest of that verse in verse 5. Jesus placed his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. Those who were humble enough to come, Jesus healed. They express their faith in God. See, a lack of faith, unbelief, it will isolate. But somebody in that community, we don't know who it was. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was somebody who had grown up with Jesus. Maybe it was someone that just had no place else to go. And they came to Jesus. The boy, remember, he's only 33. He's not even 33 yet. He's in his 30s. He's still a young man. When Paul says to Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, Timothy was about 40 years old. That ought to make some of you feel pretty doggone good in here tonight. (laughs) You know, he's saying to Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Somebody came to this young man and they recognized him as the Messiah. It takes eyes of faith to see Jesus for who he really is. I love this. You ought to, if you've never read this before, you ought to save this and send it to your friends at Christmas time. This is by Augustine and a book I have of his sermons. Maker of the, this, he's talking about the incarnation here. Maker of the Son, he is made under the Son. In the Father who remains, from his mother he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. Do you see what Augustine is grasping there? He's grasping the power and yet the humility of the incarnation. Jesus is God incarnate. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God incarnate living in human flesh, becoming one of us. And so to that young girl that sang that song a few years ago, what if God was one of us? God did become one of us. And today, he reigns in heaven for you and I. Well, finally tonight, and I know that we've got to, to finish up here, but I want you to get this last point tonight. You may be perplexed, but you're never paralyzed if you come to Christ. You may be perplexed, but you're never paralyzed. When Becky and I's house were flooded in Georgia, our neighbor's piano floated right down the river when it came up over its banks. And it, I remember I was sitting outside. I just, it was such a mess. And everybody's place was a mess. And a good, good friend of mine came by and he looked at me and he just put his arms around me. And he said, you're in a state of shock right now, but God is going to pull you through. And I remember just sitting there with his big old arms around me and just in, in that humid sunshine, you know, it's just, it was a mess. And we did. But for a moment, I just felt absolutely paralyzed. What, where do you go? I would have rather the house to have burnt down than to had to deal with the mess of a flood. I'd rather everything had just been gone. And yet, we had to get through it and, and do it. But what happened is all of these friends and people that we knew and loved, began, even our neighbors were amazed how many people. It was a little embarrassing because we had so many people showing up to help us to get through that time. 
God always blesses the humble and the faithful. He was amazed. I'm looking at verse 6 now. He was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Pastor, what are you saying here? I'm saying I am still amazed at the people that showed up to help us. I'm still amazed at how God did something wonderful out of that terrible disaster in our hometown. I still drive over there sometime and look at where it all happened and just marvel at what God did. But I want to have the kind of faith that amazes God. I don't claim to have that faith yet, but I want to have that kind of faith that God looks at you and God looks at me and says, wow, that he looks at the angels and he says, Michael, can you believe that Bob believes me like that? Can you believe that Gary believed me for that? Can you believe that Ruth believed me for that miracle? Because Jesus looked at a centurion and he turned around and says, his faith is amazing. I've not found faith like this. And remember, he looked at another woman that, that she was a Gentile. His faith, he never said of his own people, your faith amazes me. Let it never be said of the church that we don't have amazing faith. Because we get comfortable with Christianity. And Jesus is going to keep us moving. Becky and I love to visit museums. Let me rephrase that. Becky has taught me how to love to visit museums. Unfortunately, I've gotten Becky kicked out of museums. I have gotten our own personal um, tour guides. In me. I could tell you more stories about how I have messed up in a museum. But now I love them, but I still get in trouble every time I go. But one of the things that we learned from visiting a museum called the Uffizi in Florence was this. You're not judging the art. The art is judging you. Some people rush through and they walk out of the museum according to what they told us and they go, there's nothing to see here. And they say, what has really happened is they've passed by the world's greatest pieces of art and they've not been amazed. And the art has judged them and how somebody can walk past Jesus, how somebody can walk out of a worship service and not be humbled and not be moved. I want to tell you, it's we that are on trial. And so let's amaze God with our faith. And let me give you four things I'd like you to do. Number one, take big risks for the gospel. Number two, read the signs. If people aren't responding, do what Jesus did. He took his disciples and he left town. He left town. He, people were not going, they were deeply offended. He left town. He moved on because of the lack of faith. Move on if somebody just digs in their heels. Move on because there's a lot of lost people that need to hear the gospel. So learn to read the signs. Number three, when it's time, leave. When it's time, move forward. But never, never let your dream die. Keep your dream alive. Keep whatever it is that God has called you to do. Feed it with prayer. Feed it with word, the word of God. Feed it by learning how to improve your skills. Feed that dream by just taking time to imagine it and think about it. What will it look like? This week, I took something to the Lord in prayer that I felt like he impressed upon my heart years ago. I've never told anybody but my wife about it. and just impressed upon my heart. I was in the sanctuary praying one day, and, and, and 
I've just never shared it with anybody because I, I just keep pondering it before the Lord, but I don't let it go. That dream is alive. So let's pray. Let's be the church that blesses our community, and let's be amazed at the salvation that God had gave us. There's more to this life than what we've experienced yet. Can you say amen? Let's pray. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for this passage of Scripture tonight. I thank you that you didn't get stuck at Nazareth, but you took your disciples and you went on and you continued to minister in those hills because people are important to you. Help us to never get stuck in our faith. Help us to never get stuck in unbelief, but help us to be aggressive with the gospel. And Lord, when people come to Woodland, I pray they will leave with a fire in their bones, for it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for joining us this evening.